Thank you. It's good to be here. Hopefully um, you feel the same way. We'll just let the offering take place. I know the welcome team are probably slightly sweating a little bit. So just, just to give you a bit of, bit of free time, we can, just, we can just muse for a little while. Don't start the clock yet. <laughs> um, no, you can start the clock. But just, for, well, first of all, let's just begin with last week. How um, Paul and Sarah aren't here this week, but Paul has been preaching um, a series for the last three Sundays on one another, one anothering. So talking about how we're all in the same boat, and you've got a choice. You can be in the boat. Um, I haven't got the boat here today, and we're not going to continue that series. Um, You can be in the boat. Many of us prefer the middle. We prefer to be where it's safe, but God wants us to be on the edge, and maybe on the edge where somebody else sits on the other side, and that's that other person, maybe somebody that we don't necessarily get on with. That other person may be somebody that we struggle to relate to, but we've all been put in the same boat as Christians, and I think it's been a great series, and I don't believe that series is just a one-off, you know, a nice little three-week series, and we can leave it there. I think it's, you know, this, it's, it's, it's foundational to who we are as a church, so be prepared to hear that phrase, one another, one anothering, coming out um, over time. But we're now moving on to a new series, um, and I have the the pleasure of introducing this series, um, which is titled Acts, The Message and the Mission. So for the next, I believe, six weeks, and also this is, this is going to link with Sarah's message at Refresh next Sunday. So we're sort of packaging it all in to this series, Acts, um, the, message and the, mes- the Message and the Mission. So there's a huge emphasis in Acts on the Holy Spirit, you may or may not know. I, I, I enjoyed the worship um, just now, and that song, Holy, Holy, Holy. I imagine there was 120 believers of the first Christians that just lost their Savior, Jesus. He'd just, been, he'd just died, but he, was, he, he came back from the dead, and they were in an upper room, and I imagine they were singing songs a little bit like that one. Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord God Almighty. And at that point, I believe God planned it. And this is, in a couple of weeks, I think Paul's speaking on Pentecost, Acts 2. The the, the time in which the disciples received the Holy Spirit, which was an incredible time. Um, So this morning, I have the task of introducing it. So I've got no specific reference in terms of scripture. I have just been given the the words intro to Acts. Now, um, just by way of an introduction, Acts, in case you're not sure where it is, it's in the Old Testament. Sorry, I got that completely wrong. It's in the New Testament. <laughs> Sorry, shall I just get down? Anyone else have a go at this? <laughs> in the New Testament, following the four Gospels. So it marks and it documents the, the beginning and the formation of the early church, the very first church that we are now part of. That, those are the first days. Those are the glory days. Those are the beginnings of what we now um, experience. And as I said, the glory days, but the, great, the best is yet to come in the church. So it's written by Luke. The same writer of Luke, the gospel, Dr. Luke. Luke was in, in, it references him actually being there in some of the, um, particularly with Paul, he was there. So he's writing about eyewitness, what he was doing when he was there in Acts. So if you, if you want some homework, read Acts over the next few weeks. Um, Acts, Acts starts volume two of Luke's work in the same way that volume one, Luke, finishes with um, well, first of all, Jesus has rose from the dead and is about to appear, well, he has appeared over a period of 40 days to his disciples. Um, and it, they both document, I'm going to read them to you from Acts and Luke. They both document Jesus' final words on earth to his disciples. So let's read them. And I'm going to sort of stay camped in the first one, which is why I've 
made it into a nice fancy picture there. Um, but it says this, you will receive power in Acts 1, verse 8. So I'll read that again because you can't talk about power and just gloss over it. You will receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses. Telling people about me everywhere. In Jerusalem. Throughout Judea. In Samaria. And to the ends of the earth. So not a small task here. So that's, those were Jesus' final words. as He's come back from the dead, amazingly enough, and then he gives these final words. And he, similar words are chosen by Luke, who wrote the same passage. He, he wrote both of these passages. Luke wrote something similar at the end of Luke in chapter 24, verses 4 to 7, 47 to 49. It says this in the final few words of Luke. It was also written that this message will be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all the nations. Do you detect a theme? Um, Beginning in Jerusalem, there is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. You are witnesses of all these things. And now I will send the Holy Spirit just as my father promised. But stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. Almost here, what we've got in terms of an introduction to Acts is a blueprint for what's going to happen over the next 25 years of church history. The gospel is going to begin in Jerusalem. The gospel is then going to progress to Judea. Maybe not even in order. It's going to happen all at once. It's going to happen in linear. It's going to go one after the other. But also, it's all happening at the same time. But we end up at the end of Acts with Paul in Rome on trial in prison, ready sooner or later to be beheaded for his faith. So we've gone from, in 25 years of, uh, roughly 25, 30 years in Acts, from the beginning, you will begin in Jerusalem, all the way through to the ends of the earth, Rome, cultural capital of the world at the time, could symbolize the ends of the earth. You know, we're talking about from one place to another in quite a short space of time. So four key themes that come out of those two passages. One is Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. The second is witnesses, key word number one, so if you remember anything, you're going to remember two words today, witnesses, um, the Holy Spirit, key, and the Holy Spirit comes, or, comes upon or fills people, and then the second key word for your notes is power, so witness and power, today, that is today's message, we are here to be witnesses and to receive power, so if you get nothing from today's message, you are going to leave this place a witness for Jesus, and I believe and hope and pray that you will receive power, you can ignore every other word I'm going to say, except for those two. Please don't, because it'd be really lonely up here on my own. <laughs> but just to continue, a few more points about Acts as a context, because I'm laying the foundation for the next few weeks of this series. Um, I mentioned it ends in, with bad news. It starts with good news. It almost ends in bad news, because Paul is in prison, and eventually, it doesn't record this in Acts, but we know from history that Paul was eventually executed for his faith under um, the Emperor Nero, um, possibly because they believed there was a big fire in London. In fact, the whole, so, not in London, in Rome. <laughs> I'm getting my histories modeled up here. Big fire in Rome, and they blamed the Christians on this big fire. Therefore, Peter was crucified upside down. Paul was beheaded. I'm not sure about the timings of that, but bad news. So this is what we're talking about. We're not talking about nice, fluffy Christianity here. We're talking about life or death. Power. 
Luke was possibly even there when Paul died. The writer of, the, of Acts was possibly even there because everyone else had abandoned Paul because he was so dangerous to know. But Luke and Timothy were two people that stood with him. And it's possible, I'm not 100% verifying this, but it's possible that Luke himself, the writer of Acts, was himself martyred for his faith. We don't know, but possible. So, I watched a clip on YouTube of Rick Warren, and I'm no Rick Warren. If you know Rick, he's a pastor of a church of 40, 50,000 pounds. And <laughs> 40 <laughs> to 50,000 people in America. Steph is telling me to breathe. <laughs> we are in Breathe City Church, and I'm forgetting to breathe, and maybe even I forgot my brain when I sat down. And, but I, I heard him do this, and I thought it was amazing. To think about Acts, this is a great kind of introduction to Acts. In numbers, as in looking through Acts and looking at the numbers of church growth. We begin, and I'll just, I'm not going to appear on screen, so you just need to use your ears for a moment. In Acts 1.15, it says about 120 believers were together in one place. So there's a few more than 120, so we've kind of ticked that one off. We're... we're if we can compare ourselves to the early church, we're, we're there. 120 people in one place. A chapter later in Acts 2.41, it says this. About 3,000 were added to their number that day. In a day, 3,000. At the end of that same chapter, it says the Lord added to their number daily. So at least 365 people a year. So probably more than that. Acts 4 verse 4 the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000 in a few short chapters. Now, if it's 5,000 men, roughly, you know, we'd probably guess maybe 5,000 women as well, and maybe another five or 10,000 children. So we're talking multiple thousands um, already, and it, we're only got to Acts 4. Acts 6, and by the way, some people in the next few weeks will be unpacking some of these passages. Acts 6, the number, in verse 1, the number of disciples was multiplying. So no longer is the church just adding, it's multiplying. The maths has now changed by Acts 6. And all the way at the end, 25 years later, in Acts 21, verse 20, it says this, you see, my brother, how many myriads. Now, you need to look at the King James version of the Bible to get that word, myriads, which actually means tens of thousands. So it says here, at the end of Acts, there are many tens of thousands. So you make your estimation as to how many, many is, but we're talking multiple tens of thousands. Imagine being in the church that big. But what I'm trying to say is something happened that enabled it to go from 120 people in a small room, a little bit intimidated, a little bit scared, to many tens of thousands in 25 to 30 years. Oh my goodness, we need to know what that secret was. And the secret is in this passage, which Yolanda's going to flick up for us, which is the Acts 1 verse 8, which is my central scripture. And I'm already halfway through my message. Um, it's the central scripture. This is how I am introducing Acts as a book, as a, using this passage, you will receive power. I like to pause after that word because it needs it. <clears throat> When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. 
The question that you might be thinking and asking is, that was written many thousands of years ago. Is that promise for me today in 2017? Will I receive power? Will the Holy Spirit come upon me? Will I be a witness in Jerusalem? I don't even know where that is. Check your atlas. Um, Will I be a witness in Stoke-on-Trent, my locality? Will I be a witness in Manchester, Birmingham, the neighboring city? Will I be witness in a foreign city or a foreign country? Will I be a witness to the ends of the earth? Is that for me or do I just read it as a nice devotional scripture from Acts? The good news is it's for you. The ends of the earth have not yet been reached. All nations have not yet heard the gospel. Therefore, the promise still stands. The Great Commission has not yet been fulfilled. Therefore, the promise is still available to you and me. So we are talking not just about 12 disciples or 120 disciples. We are today are talking about you. If you're a Christian, if you're a believer, we and I am talking about you. So the two things, often I like to preach and I have three points. Today, I've simplified it to two. And I've already told you what they are. What two things He's offering us many more, but what two things referenced in this passage is Jesus offering to us? The first one is extraordinary power. The second thing is an expansive witness. So extraordinary power and an expansive witness is available to you and to me. Now, I know that's easy for me to say. So let's have a look in a little bit more detail about what that actually means. So we'll begin in order with that first thing, extraordinary power. Now that word power itself in English is an interesting word because we use it to to talk about many different things. We talk about power, you know, I powered the electric guitar using electricity. I powered the power station using coal. I powered the the steam engine using steam. It's a a form of energy, talking about energy and movement and and, and that kind of stuff. Science. It's also an adjective. So Usain Bolt was a powerful sprinter. Or that speech, that preach on Sunday morning when Ben was powerful. So yeah, hopefully you'll agree. It's an adjective. We use power as a word to describe things. We also use it, you know, maybe sometimes in a negative way because we talk about exerting power over someone. So political power. Um, Or in a negative way, abusing one's power. So it can be actually a negative thing when we think about this word power. It's also, you know, we talk about superpowers and healing powers and miraculous powers. We have power. I don't even know in terms of English grammar what that even is. Steffi tells me it's some form of noun, but it's too complicated for a Sunday morning. But the word in scripture is dunamis, D-U-N-A-M-I-S, dunamis. It's Greek. I should have put it on screen. Um, It's where we get our word dynamite from. So you will receive dynamite when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. We're talking here today about an explosive power, not just a power that powers your fridge, not just a power that powers the electric guitars, electric guitars, electric cars, and electric guitars. (laughs) I should have got out on the other side of the bed this morning. (laughs) Um, But interestingly, all power needs control for it to be used for good. You know, a sprinter If they've got too much power and they can't control it, they'll be a useless sprinter. Um, A politician who has too much power and they they abuse it 
can be really detrimental to society. So fortunately, this power, you will receive power from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, if you, and we'll learn about this, especially when Sarah talks at Refresh about who is the Holy Spirit, is our helper. So if we have all this power, this explosive dynamite power from God, we need someone to put that under control. We need balance. That is the Holy Spirit's job to help us. So we have power under control. But the question I have, and I was thinking about this, is what were the disciples doing before this? Some of you might know, before they received the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, you might know that they were in an upper room. What were they doing? You know, they just lost Jesus. Well, not lost him. He died. He came back to life. And then he's ascended into heaven. He's no longer here on earth. And they're probably thinking, well, that was our Messiah. He was our hope. So what do we do now? So what, did, what were they doing? Let's just read a couple of scriptures for you. Um, Luke 24 verse 49 says, <clears throat> I think I read this earlier. And now I will send the Holy Spirit just as my father promised, but stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. What were they doing? The disciples were waiting. So when we're talking about the Holy Spirit, we need an element of patience here. We need an element of waiting. You can't just rock up to church and think, right, I mean, it could happen. You could have this amazing experience where the Holy Spirit encounters you and you, you, you just, you know, a little bit like in Pentecost, which you're going to learn about in a couple of Sundays' time. Amazing things can happen. It could happen, but sometimes we need to wait, ready ourselves, prepare our hearts, and have faith in the one who is sending this gift of the Holy Spirit. So we need to wait. Secondly, in the next scripture in Luke 24, just the next verse, in verse 50 says this, then Jesus led them to Bethany, and lifting up his hands to heaven, he blessed them. This is just before he's about to go. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up to heaven. So they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem, filled with great joy. So the disciples in the upper room maybe were a little bit confused, Maybe were a little bit unsure. Maybe were a little bit afraid that they were going to be the next one on that cross crucified. But because of what Jesus said to them, they went back to Jerusalem. They went back to their upper room scenario with joy, worshipping Jesus. And they, they spent all of their time in the temple praising God. So they went to church. Not too dissimilar to what you've done this morning. We just sang some worship songs. We've just gathered together. Some of you might be in that first section as well, waiting for something from God. So it, these early Christians are no different to you and me today. And then finally, in Acts 1, 14, it says this. What else were the disciples doing? Well, this is what they were doing. They all met together and were constantly united in prayer. So they were constantly in the temple, constantly United in prayer. They were praying at all times. They were worshiping. They were filled with joy. It was probably a little bit like a worship service in that waiting period before the Holy Spirit was to arrive. They all met along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, several other women, and the brothers of Jesus. It was church, just like we have today. They were waiting, they were worshiping, and they were, doesn't begin with a W, but they were praying, or they were being patient. They were praising, and they were praying, three Ps. 
So you can be, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't knock you for this, because the disciples were that just before the Holy Spirit. You, in this room today, you could be, and I would let you, be an upper room Christian. Because it sounds pretty good to me. It sounds like they had joy. They worshipped. They prayed. They met together. They went to church. They did all the things that we should do as a good, boy, good Christian boy and good Christian girl. It was upper room Christianity. Sounds pretty good to me. Or you can receive this extraordinary power on top of that. Um, and hopefully you're in the similar boat to me. Right? You, you want that. You want this extraordinary power. Why would you not? If it's available to you, why would you continue to live in the upper room when you can live on the ends of the earth Christianity? Why would you live in a four walls with 120 people that probably would start annoying you after a while and it would smell to expansive Christianity. The world is your oyster. Take it anywhere. Witness for Jesus. So a couple of things before we move on to the next point is why do we need this power? Two reasons, I believe. There's many more. So if I'm trying to convince you that you want this, because as, as I say, you could leave this room today and just say, oh, I'm happy as I am. I enjoy coming to church. I enjoy praising. I enjoy worshiping. I know, you know, I'm pretty good at waiting, patient. I'm, I'll be an early upper room kind of Christian. I'm happy with that. Two things to convince you, maybe otherwise, that you need something more. First reason we need this power is you need a deep conviction to your faith, in your faith. I love this verse, and it uses the same word, power, so let's have a look. Ephesians 3.18 says this, may you have the power to understand which suggests to me that this next thing is very, very difficult. So you need some power to understand this next thing. May you have power to understand, as all God's people should, but don't all, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. We need depth of understanding. It's not just, I've heard Jesus loves me, therefore I, Jesus loves me. We need that deep conviction. You need power. You need the Holy Spirit to help you understand just how much he loves you. You need the Holy Spirit to wake you up and remind you of your future. Despite what your past says or what you did in the past or how you feel about yourself, you need the Holy Spirit to give you power to understand just how much he loves you. Wow. So I want that. I don't want to be a bit uncertain about my faith. If you've got the Holy Spirit, you have a deep confidence and a deep certainty in your testimony. If you don't know Jesus, if you're not a Christian today, you might be thinking, well, I don't know an ounce of his love, let alone the depth and the width and the height and the, just the magnitude of his love. Maybe what you need today is a dose of his Holy Spirit to help you understand his love. The Holy Spirit can help you. And the second thing, the reason we need this power is basically my final point, which is this, this issue of witness. So a, a witness um, in a court of law would be out, or certainly the lawyer, the prosecution lawyer, will be able to use their words to convince, or at least try, to convince that somebody's guilty or not guilty. You haven't got to convince. With the Holy Spirit, you haven't got to convince anyone that Jesus is real. You haven't got to convince anyone that your faith is true and you're not just living a lie. If you have the Holy Spirit, your witness will be irresistible to those who don't know 
Jesus. You can talk not from a technical lawyer point of view and convince. You don't need to argue for Jesus. You just simply know Jesus. And that's all you need. So that's what the Holy Spirit offers you, which is my second point, which is this um, expanding, expansive witness. They're not just a witness where, you know, I talk to one person for the rest of my life about Jesus and I have a little conversation. An expansive witness where you talk about Jesus wherever you go. You could be on a flight to to Florida and you speak to someone about Jesus. You could be in outer Mongolia and you have a conversation with someone about Jesus. You could be on mission in Africa and you have a conversation about Jesus. Um, So we're talking about being a witness. Somebody who has seen or heard or experienced something testifies in court they, they declare what they have seen or experienced or heard. The disciples had seen Jesus come back from the dead. Therefore, they were witnesses. But also, he says, you will be witnesses. You'll be witnesses not just of what happened, but of what is happening right now to the end of eternity. And uh, I haven't witnessed many crimes. There's been a few occasions I've phoned the police for various um, unsavory activity. And, but the one thing that came to my mind, a, a crime that came to my mind... Um, is uh, <laughs> I've got to hurry up. <laughs> a crime that came to my mind was actually in year. Um, I was actually in year two of primary school, so I didn't commit it. I witnessed it. I was a witness, and my younger sister, who was in reception at that time, she can she has the same experience. But today, it still remains a mystery to us both. We were there in assembly, as you would in, in year two listening to the teacher talk. And for this particular illustration, no idea what the topic of this of the assembly was. But the teacher, I don't know how even, was baking a cake live in front of the children in at the front of the assembly hall. This was happening. We were all engrossed. We were cheering when thing, eggs were going in. We were just laughing because we thought we're going to eat this cake. This is a great assembly. And my sister can vouch for me. She was another witness. This, this is what happened. Somebody came from the outside don't know who they were, wearing black, balaclava, picked up the cake, hadn't even yet been finished. Certainly, I don't think it had been baked yet, let alone iced. They stole it. Now, I don't know whether this was teachers, you, you know, you use visual aids, you, use, you, know, you stage things, maybe. What happened? Me and my sister in reception, me and year two, have no idea what happened. We witnessed the crime. We wanted that cake. And to this day, um, well, I would have been like six. So we're talking like 25, I can't quickly do the maths, but 25, 30 years later, I remember it. So, I don't know. But I was a witness to a crime back then. But the, the disciples, I just needed a little bit of humor there. But this, let's go for Acts 10, verse 39. I mean, it's, they, were, they were slightly better witnesses because, you know, I, I can't remember really what happened, but that's what happened to me. Um, my sister can vouch for it. If she was on front, she looks a bit like me. If she stood there, she would tell you the same story. So I'm not just making this thing up. I don't know why the cake was stolen. But anyway, Acts 10, 39. I've got to hurry up. <laughs> and we apostles, this is amazing. This, you know, sometimes you prepare a preach and something just stands out and you think, here we go. Here's one from me. If, you don't, if it doesn't stand out to you, don't worry. But to me, this is why I prepared this preach for this moment. And we apostles are witnesses of all he, Jesus, did throughout Judea and Jerusalem. 
two key places that we're talking about. They put him to death by hanging him on a cross. But God raised him to life on the third day. Then God allowed him to appear. Get this. Not to the general public, but to us whom God had chosen in advance to be his witnesses. We were those who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. You might not be yet clicking into what I thought when I read this. But if you were Jesus, you'd just been whipped, spat on, kicked, verbally abused, humiliated, hands out, feet out, seven-inch nails, crucified, death. And you knew, or maybe he didn't, I don't know. Three days later, he would raise, come back to life. If it was you, who would the first people that you would go and visit if you were resurrected? If it was me, I know I would go to my persecutors. I know I would go to the Roman centurion. I know I would go to the Jewish authorities. I know I would go to the people that mocked me, who abused me, who teased me, who, fru- who, who hit the first nail into my first hand. I would be the one that would go to them. Why didn't Jesus go to people who didn't believe him? They, if they'd have believed in Jesus, they wouldn't have crucified him. So they didn't believe in Jesus. You might know people in your world who don't believe in Jesus. Why hasn't Jesus yet revealed himself to them? Why didn't Jesus reveal himself so that history will be changed? That all the people that persecuted Christians, all the people that hated Jesus, would have in one moment a face It's a face encounter with somebody who's come back from the dead. Surely that will be how you would start a church. Am I right? If it was me and I'd been killed, battered and abused and punished, and I'd been innocent, I would go to the people that put me in that place and say, look at me, I'm alive. But it says in this passage, God allowed him to appear not to the general public, but to us, whom God has chosen in advance to be his witnesses. So you might be thinking, my friend, my brother, my sister, my my family member, my neighbor who doesn't know Jesus, why Jesus, don't you just appear to them? Because he's put you there as a witness. Because he's put you in that workplace. He has put you in that family. You will be his witness. It's our role to tell like a witness in a courtroom of what we have seen and heard. Your testimony is all that you need. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. It's not just about it will be Jerusalem first, then Judea, then Samaria. It won't be your family first, then it'll be your neighbor, then it'll be people that you've never met, then it'll be people in another country. It doesn't necessarily work like that. You might be thinking, I've never spoken to anyone about Jesus. The first time could be in Africa. The first time could be in Stoke-on-Trent. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. The Holy Spirit will enable your witness to expand from your small inner circle, perhaps your friends, your family, 
It's an expansive witness. It's not just meant to be one conversation with a friend and that's it. You've done it. You've made it as a great commission. God has called you to the ends of the earth. Now, you may not be able to get on a plane and go to outer Mongolia, but Facebook, the internet, social media, pen pals, whatever it might be for you, the world is our oyster. We can be witnesses to the ends of the earth. One such example, I'm not going to give many details, but just as a little spoiler, a little taster, Paul and Sarah have mentioned it quite a bit about African new life and Rwanda. You just never know where that could take you in your future. The only thing is, in order to do that, in order to have extraordinary power, in order to have an expansive witness, you need the Holy Spirit. You need the Holy Spirit. And at this point, I'd just like to invite the band to come and join me on stage. So I'm just about there. I've got a bit of a, a, a warm glow. It's warm. It's, <laughs> I think it's the 30 degrees that Michael was talking about at the beginning. <laughs> I've been living in it. <laughs> this atmosphere of praise. Can I just... Thank you. I just need this just because... We're going to pray... We're going to do one or two things that the early disciples did. We're going to not recreate what happened there on the day of Pentecost or, or anything. Maybe, I don't know. But we're going to need to do something to respond. And perhaps one way in which we can do that is pray. But I'm also aware that maybe there are people in this room who have never yet actually said, I even want to be a Jesus follower. Maybe you're in the room and you're not a Christian and you don't know Jesus. And I don't want to leave you out. I don't want you to think, well, this is a, this is a message for people who are Christians. So I'm just going to switch off. There's an opportunity at the end. Um, we have a, a team of wel- uh, welcome team in, in red lanyards. There'll be people over in the in the welcome area. So if you've, if you've come with someone, have that conversation. If you say, I, I, I want to know more about this Jesus. I want to begin that journey. I'm not going ne- to ask you to do anything right now. I'm simply going to ask you to go and speak to someone at the back. But for the rest of us, all of us included, should we get to our feet? We're going to do one or two things maybe what the first one is slightly unusual in a church corporate setting the second is very normal and the first third is very normal but just in terms of response what do you need to do I've introduced the series come next week listen to um, Sarah I believe yeah she's talking about the promise of the Holy Spirit and then in the evening at refresh she's talking about who is the Holy Spirit. So engage with this series over the, over the next six weeks. I believe will help you. Come to refresh next Sunday night. And practice what the early disciples did. Jesus said, wait, don't leave until you've had the Holy Spirit. So what we're going to do just for a minute, make you feel maybe awkward. We're just going to wait. Just for a minute. Just in a moment of, of silence and reflection. You've heard a message. It's hot, maybe. Well, it is on stage. You've probably got thoughts through your mind. You might be thinking about lunch. But let's just take a second. And I'm going to shut up in a second. So just to reflect and think and wait on the Holy Spirit.
Let's do that now for a minute. They met together in one place. We're all here in one place, so let's pray. You can join with me in your heart. Lord, we thank you for Acts. Thank you, Jesus, that you died, you came back to life, and then you appeared to people who you chose before the beginning of time to be your witnesses. And then in Acts 2, at the day of Pentecost, you appeared and revealed yourself in power. And the church grew from 120 to multiple tens of thousands in only 25 years. God, we're in awe of you. And over these next six weeks, Father, would you just reveal the gift that you promised in your Holy Spirit? Would we be received and, and, and be filled with your Spirit again? And again, and Lord, I pray that every person in this room would receive from you an extraordinary power and would receive an expansive witness. In your name, Jesus. Amen.